Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrow of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offering of blood will not, I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. For the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen on me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have been beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel, and in the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence the fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. And while I'm setting the stage, if you want to turn to Psalm 16, that's what I just read to you. And I want to walk through it with you line by line. I know oftentimes you come here on Sunday and we have slides and we have points and we want you to take notes and all that. But I think this morning, as we look at this psalm, I really want you to focus in with me as we move through this verse by verse. And so I want you to open your word or your digital sword or whatever you may have. And I want you to really focus in and tune in on what David has to say for us in Psalm 16. And so I want to give you the main idea, and then we'll walk through the scripture. The main idea is this. God intends for believers to experience fullness of joy now and forever if God is your safe refuge, sovereign Lord, wonderful counselor, and ultimate treasure. It's a lot there, but we want to unpack that. I want to read it one more time. It says, God intends for believers to experience fullness of joy now and forever if God is your safe refuge, your sovereign Lord, your wonderful counselor, and your ultimate treasure. And so throughout history, men have pursued this idea of joy. They've pursued many avenues to fulfill joy in this life. And some have successfully found it and others have not. And today I want to take you and describe to you what it, where you cannot find joy. I think a lot of times we, we look to where we can, but I want to tell you where you can't find joy. And there's a lot of men throughout history. And I want to start with Voltaire. He was an infidel. He was the most profound of the most profound type. That means he didn't believe in God. He fought against religion. It was unbelief that he fought for. There is no God. There's nothing like that that exists. He was a French Enlightenment writer, historian, a philosopher, and he was famous for his wit and his attack on Christianity. And at the end of his life, he writes this, I wish I had never been born. We cannot find joy in pleasures. Lord Byron says this, he lived a life of pleasure. He was an English nobleman, a poet, a politician, a leading figure in the Romantic movement, and he was regarded as one of Great Britain's most famous poets and writers, and he's still influenced today. And he writes this at the end of his life. He says, the worm and the canker 
and grief are mine alone. One whom we would have thought would experience ultimate pleasure and joy here on the earth. We cannot find it in money. Jay Gould was an American millionaire who was the leading railroad developer investor in early American history. He was known to be the richest man in all the earth. And as he died, he says this. He says, I suppose I am the most miserable man on earth. So we cannot find joy in money. We can't find it in position or fame. Lord Beaconfield enjoyed both of these. He was the prime minister in the United Kingdom. And at the end of his life, he writes this, Youth is a mistake. Manhood, a struggle. Old age, a regret. And someone who was put in a position to be famed and have power and authority regretted his life. We can't find it in military glory or self-glory. Alexander the Great, after conquering the known world in his day, having done so, he wept in his tent and said, there are no more wars to conquer. We can't find ultimate joy and ultimate fulfillment in these things. So where is real joy found? I think Michael alluded to it earlier today. It's a simple answer. It's not complicated. It's the church answer. We all know it. It's founded in Christ. In Christ alone. And when we find Christ, we'll look at this psalm together. We'll see David as we find Christ as our ultimate treasure. We can find joy in these things. We can use these platforms to bring glory to God through our money, through our position, through our fame, through the talents that God has given us in our families, in our marriage. Too often in our families, in our marriage, we look to our children to be joy, our greatest joy, and that's not good. When we find joy in Christ, our marriages will be strengthened. Our children will grow to be strong in the Lord. And so as we listen to the heart of David, I want this question to kind of resonate in you. I want you to think of this question as we move through this psalm. Is God your treasure, your refuge, your Lord, and your counselor? Really think about this. So let's start in verse 1. Psalms chapter 16, verse 1. And David cries out and he says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Preserve me. This is his petition. This is his prayer. He says, Preserve me. Keep me safe. Keep me safe, O Lord. Protect me. I take refuge in you. Therefore, preserve me. This is his declaration. He says, You are my refuge. You are my safe place. And because he has made this declaration, David is hoping that God will preserve him. That's what the word for means. We see it in verse 1. He says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I am turning to you only. You are my safety. There is nowhere else that I want to be except in your presence. Protect me, O Lord. Protect me. Preserve me. I take refuge in you. This is his petition to God. Preserve me from what? Preserve me from what? If you'll be patient, we'll get there. We'll move through this. Just keep that in your mind as he prays this to God. He says, preserve me, O God. 
Preserve me from what? Verse 2, he says, I say to the Lord, Yahweh, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. In the first part of the verse, he says, I say to you, Lord, if you see Lord in all caps, I think Michael has said this before as we've walked through Psalms, it means Yahweh, it means God. And he says to him, I say to you, Lord, God, I say to you, God, you are my Lord, my supreme ruler. To you alone do I look. To you alone that I want to submit my life to. I want you to be Lord over my life. He says, God, you alone are my supreme ruler. And then in verse 2, the second half, of it, he says, God is his ultimate treasure. Listen to what he says. I have no good apart from you. I have no good apart from you. Nothing that I can do on my own apart from you is good. You make it good. You make it good. You are my ultimate treasure. And then for the first, for the next five verses, we're going to see David just kind of move through this thought of him, of God being his treasure. Verse 3, it says, For the saints in the land, there are excellent ones in whom is all my delight or my pleasure or my joy. David gets to this point in the psalm and he expresses his deep joy for the people of God. Listen to what he says. He says, for the saints in the land, for the saints in the land, there's many people in this land. There's many people that walk this earth. He says, but the saints, the believers, they are the excellent ones. In whom is all my delight, my joy, my pleasure, I enjoy being amongst the people of God. In all the people in all the world, his delight is in the people of God. And so right here, he's not saying that his delight in the people of God is above his delight for God. I want you to see that. He's not putting people above God. He's saying of the people in this world, those who have chosen to live for you, it's my delight. They're the excellent ones. They're the ones whom I want to be in fellowship with, in community with. And so when we think of communities, all of us are involved in different communities in our life, from work to family to church to friends. There's so many communities that we're involved in. And what he's saying is the people of God is the greatest joy to be involved in that community of believers. So excellent for the saints. They're the excellent ones. And so David is expressing this. And if you're thinking to yourself now that you find greater joy with the people in the world than the people of God, and I think there's two questions you have to ask yourself. Piper says it like this. I love it. He says, do you know any Christians? This is the first one. So if we find our delight in the people of the world and not the people of God, in the fellowship of the world and not the fellowship of believers. He says, do you know any Christians? Right? Not churchgoers. Not churchgoers. But people who have been radically changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. People who will die for the cause of Christ. Who will lay down their life for Jesus. That their love affair with this world is no more. That they want Christ. Do you know any Christians? That's the first question. Second question is this. Why would it be that you, a professing Christian, would find more joy in people who find no joy 
And what is your primary joy? What a question. It was long. I'm going to read it one more time. Why would it be that you, a professing Christian, you who believe in God, would find more joy in those who do not believe in God who would find no joy in what is your primary joy? It's a tough question. When we think about our circles of influence, when we think about our communities, when we think about where we spend the most time, if we put God as our treasure, then those who we surround ourselves with should also be that. That doesn't mean we exclude ourselves from the world. We're not saying that. We're not saying that you can't have friendships with unbelievers. But we're saying that you need to find the most joy in the community of God if you're a believer of God. Simple. So this is what David is trying to express. This is David, what he's trying to say here. He says, for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom all my delight is. And then we get to verse 4, and he continues to express this deep-rooted joy for God as his ultimate treasure. He says, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply their drink offerings of blood. I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. What is David saying? He's saying because he is so in love with God, Yahweh, he's so in love with God that not only will he not drink of their offerings, and what they're talking about here, there were offerings to God that they would drink as worship to God. Not only will he not drink of that, of the false gods, he won't even speak their name. He won't even allow it to roll off their lips, off his lips. He will have no part in this foolishness. And so then he gets to verse 5. And the first part of verse 5 is really a reflection of of verse 2, the second part of verse 2. And he says this, he says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. And in verse 2 he says, I have no good apart from you. And so what he's saying is that you are my ultimate treasure. The picture that David is painting here, the picture of a table that is laid out with the best of everything, the best of foods, the things that taste the best, the best of wines, the drinks that are the best. And as he looks across this table, as he surveys the table, all the things that would be good to him or seem to be good, he says, the Lord is my chosen portion. He is my cup. He is my cup. Church, the world will present so many things to you that look good and taste good on the surface. And David wants you to be aware of that. We mentioned earlier the things like pleasure and money and position. Those things are out there. Those things are real. Those things can entrap you and entangle you and can take away from the fullness of joy that God wants for his children, for those who believe in him trust in him and love him God wants that for you but we can allow those to take away our religion, our self glory it's yours for the taking 
But church, I want you to survey that table. I want you to look like David did. And I want you to choose Christ. I want you to make him your portion. I want to make him my portion. I want people to see him glorified in me. And then when we can say that, when we can choose Christ over the debauchery of this world, we will see God as our ultimate treasure. We'll choose him as our portion, as our cup. And then the end of verse 5 will be a little easier to say. You hold my lot. Says the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. I trust you as sovereign Lord over my life. When the dice are rolled, whatever happens, I trust in you, Lord. I trust in you. Makes it a little easier. God, you decide what happens. And then verse 6 continues with this thought of this lot as the dice are rolled. He says, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. And right here with the lines, we have to define what it is. It's not like just a line drawn or, or some kind of string. It's actually, he's talking about border lines. He's talking about border lines here. And he says, these border lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. And it really means the same word pleasant here in verse 6 is the same word in verse 11 for pleasures. It's the same Hebrew word. And so really we can read as the lines have fallen for me in pleasures. Indeed, I have a beautiful places. And what are the pleasures? Look at verse 11 real quick and we'll get back to it. The pleasures are this. They're at the right hand. At your right hand, the pleasures are forevermore. That's what he's talking about. The inheritance of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. And so in verse 6 when he says these lines are these borders... He's not talking about land or inheritance, earthly inheritance. He's talking about the borders that God puts around you and our life to push us to the center of joy, which is Christ. Right? He borders your life because he knows you. And when we submit to him, when he's our ultimate treasure, he's going to border your life in a way (laughs) that pushes you into the fullness of joy. And that is God, church. That is God. And so now that we've seen God in David's life as his ultimate treasure, we'll now see him as wonderful counsel. Look at verse 7. He says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. And so this was not just tagged in there. David didn't just throw this line in there. This is a very important line. A very important line. Trusting God as our counselor affects, listen to this, trusting God as our counselor affects how you experience God as your refuge, as your Lord, and as your treasure. It affects all three. And so as we look at David's letters, he talks about, you are my refuge, you are my safe place. God, you are sovereign. I trust you with my life. And you are my ultimate treasure. The way we experience that is through the counsel of the Lord. That's the progression here. He says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. So this is the illustration that when we're looking for refuge 
in Christ, when we're looking for refuge in our Lord, we can only find that knowing the counsel of the Lord. By knowing His Word. Knowing the endangerments of sin that can trap us. And where do we flee? To the Lord. If we know His counsel. If we know His Word. If we love His Word. How do we trust God as sovereign? How do we trust His promises? To know His Word. To know His counsel. Lord, send me Your counsel. Illuminate Your Word in my life so that I will know how to trust You when nothing seems right. When everything is wrong in my marriage, in my job, in life. It all seems wrong. Lord, teach me to trust You. Counsel me. Send Your Spirit to counsel me through your word and then our treasure as the word of God speaks of God's glory now and forevermore that we listen to the counsel of the Lord that he is good he is glorious he is our treasure so we get to verse 8 and from verse 1 we see the, the petition David's prayer, we see, preserve me, O God. Preserve me, O God. And then after he says, preserve me, protect me, he declares, you are my refuge. You are my refuge. You are my sovereign Lord. You are my treasure. You are my counselor. And he gets to verse 8. This is declaration. And here's the affirmation in verse 8. Listen to it. It says, I have set the Lord always before me. That's what he's doing. That's what he's been doing for seven verses. I set the Lord always before me, and because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Wow. No matter what comes at me in this world and in this life, the affirmation, that which is true, is that if I put Christ as my Lord, as my refuge, as my treasure, I will not be shaken. I will not be shaken. Times will be tough. But I will not be shaken. Things won't go the way I think. But I will not be shaken. Because God is protecting us with his borders. He's putting these lines around us. That will push us through the pain and the suffering. And that will bring us the fullness of joy. So if we position ourselves under the love and care of our mighty God, we will not be shaken. We will be kept and we will not be lost. In verse 9, he says, therefore, I know a lot of preachers kind of sit when they say therefore, right? Like, listen up, listen up. That's a good thing. So listen up. <laughs> therefore, therefore, after all that has been said, therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. Here's the climax of the, of, the, of, the, of the psalm. Therefore, deep-rooted joy is experienced when we have confidence knowing that we will not be shaken. We will not be shaken. When we declare the goodness of God and know we will not be shaken, we can experience a glad heart, a joyful heart that when we walk through life, we are joyful people. Now verse 10. 
after he has given us the climax of the psalm, he gives us the answer to verse 1. He says this, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, meaning the place of the dead, or let your Holy One see corruption. This is the answer. I want to live. I don't want to die. And he's not talking about the physical death that we all will receive because of the penalty of sin. He's talking about, I want to live with you now and forever. I want to be in your presence now and forever. And he says, for you will not abandon me. For, once again, we see that word for. It's a small word. This is the proof of his confidence that he will not be shaken and that God will preserve him if he makes God his ultimate treasure. Then he will experience the fullness of joy. That's what he's saying here. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. He has confidence in that because he knows that God that God as his treasure will not allow him to be shaken. This is the proof. And then it comes to an end in verse 11, the result. The result of all that has been said in Psalm 16. I love verse 11. Many of you may know it. Many of you may can quote it. It says this. Here's the result. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is a fullness of joy. And at your right hand, your pleasures forevermore. Church, God wants to make known to you this path of life. He wants you to trust in Him. He wants you to fully surrender your life to Him, to make Him your ultimate treasure, to make Him your refuge, to make Him your Lord, your supreme authority. He wants that. And so, in verse 11, He wants to make known to you the path of life. And in your presence, the fullness of joy, and at the right hand are pleasures forevermore. Listen to the main idea again. Stephanie's going to put it up there. And all that we've talked about, all that we've walked through, when you think of verse 11, you think of this ending result says, God intends for believers to experience fullness of joy now, church now, and forever. If, if God is your safe refuge, your sovereign Lord, your ultimate treasure, your wonderful counselor. God wants you to experience him now. And then into all of eternity. Look what Jesus says in John. John 10.10 When he's teaching a parable of the good shepherd, he says this, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I come that they may have life and that they may have it abundantly. This isn't the prosperity gospel, church. He's not saying if you believe in Jesus, you're going to be rich and everything's going to be okay. He's not saying that. He's saying that if you want to make Jesus the central figure of your life, If you want to do that, you will experience the fullness of joy in all circumstances. In all circumstances. And you will understand everything in your life to be a blessing from the Lord. No matter how big or how small this world may say it is. That's the abundant life. 
And then in John 15, as Michael read to start the service, John 15, 11, it says these things, he's talking about the true vine. It says these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Church, he doesn't want us walking around like a bunch of dead Christians. He wants us to move through this life in a way that people notice your joy is in God. That's what he wants. Let us pray. Father, thank you for David's heart. Thank you for this psalm that he has penned. Thank you for this great reminder to those who believe and trust in you that we need to continue to pursue you as our ultimate joy, our ultimate treasure, that you are our safe refuge, our wonderful counselor, sovereign Lord. Father, I pray that if there's anything in our way of that, that you would convict our hearts cleanse us from that sin. Whatever is on the pedestal in our life that is before you, that is keeping us from making you our ultimate treasure. Father, remove it now. And Father, if we have not made you our ultimate treasure, if this all sounds foreign, Father, I pray that you convict our hearts Pick those in here that may not know you. Draw them to yourself. That they may make you their ultimate joy, their ultimate treasure. Thank you for this word this morning. Spirit, move in our hearts. Convict us and change us to be more like you. It's in your son's name we pray.